You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get rock, one, two, three, four, five. I'm gonna cook a meal that's gonna make you mine. We're turning up the oven, now we're ready to roast. When you touch me, honey, you'll love it the most. Come on and put me in your loving shoes. Welcome to another Bitflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Paige Feldman. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Stuart. This is really exciting. I, get, I love talking about movies. Um, and we're going to do, um, in, in a kind of progression, or literally a progression, on uh, a previous show I did called Five Great Rom-Coms, we're doing Five Boss Bitch Romantic Comedies, which is a great title for a show, so I thank you for that. Um, Very welcome. Brackets, <laughs> just for people to qualify it, give it a bit of detail. Rom-coms featuring savvy women who follow their dreams and get their man too. Exactly. And it would have been their woman too if there were really any good lesbian rom-coms, but there aren't yet. And hopefully someone will hear this and decide to make one. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So before we go into that, um, you're an author and a filmmaker. Do you want to tell us a bit about what you've been doing and what, what where you are at the moment? Sure. So as far as the author goes, I have written five books and have yet to be published. I'm looking to go for the go the traditional publishing route, which is a long and arduous trail full of spreadsheets of like 250 rejections. But every rejection I get, people say, oh, this is great. I just don't know if I, uh, if, if it's for me to uh, make or to publish. And that's, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's the creative life. Indeed I write, um, write uh, young adult thrillers as my novels. And then in a larger leap um, in my film and other media work, because I'm currently working on an audio rom-com series, oh, wow. which uh, pilots out. And um, the other episodes will start, I'm actually recording the next episode in a couple of weeks. Um, and so, so what's, that, my, what's, what's, what's that called then, your audio rom-com? Oh, it's, it's called uh, How to Fall in Love the Hard Way. Mm-hmm. And it is very much in line with this uh, boss bitch theme. It's about three women who form an unlikely friendship mm-hmm. and through their friendship, conquer career goals and figure out their hangups about love. And there's a lot of fun, sexy scenes and a lot of fighting the man to get what they need at work and to how self-discovery 
helps um, inspire creative work in there as well, uh, which I know I'm going to be talking about later when we get to one of our um, our last film that is on the list. Brilliant. Uh, How can people listen to that audio? Uh, so it is available on any podcast platform you can imagine, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, just search How to Fall in Love the Hard Way. Or if you want to go to the source, you can go to listen.howtofallinlovethehardway.com. Brilliant. And well, I'll put a link in the show notes to make that really easy awesome. to people. And um, and we'll get right into it. Now, before we do, I'll explain the rules of the game because it is a bit of a game, even though it's very serious what we're going to talk about at the same time. Um, serious with a little S, not a big S. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, this, this follows on from my format of five great, five great everything, five. And with that, it's five films in five minutes. And as I've already said, we're doing five boss bitch romantic comedies with Paige. And at the end of five minutes, you and Paige will hear the sound of a barking dog. And that is, at the, that is, that is a, um, a uh, simulation of what will eventually be Pig, which is a French bulldog owned by my friend Dan. He has promised me the uh, MP3 of the dog barking. So one day this show will feature Pig. But for now, that is the noise we will hear at the end of five minutes. Does that seem clear to you, Paige? That's very clear. I'm excited to get going. Cool. Well, before we do, um, you, 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 in your notes to me, which are very helpful, you said you had your, your bonus choice, which isn't really a... Um, romantic comedy, but a, mo- a more a movie about family and self-discovery with a secondary plot is Gene of the Joneses. Now, what was, what was, now that didn't quite make the list. So what, what is it about that you wanted to draw attention to before we get into your five? So Gene of the Joneses is a, it's just such a wonderful comedy about family and coming of age as a person, as a woman in your thirties. Does Daphne still live here? Grandma! Sir? Uh, I feel kind of funny. Sad? No, not sad. Just funny. Who is that man? Who? The man that died on our front step. He's got a lot of nerve dying on my doorstep. Is he ours? Were you guys close? What kind of man was he? Was he a modest sort of man, or was he more ostentatious? I don't know. Are you going back to Jeremiah? What? You should. I'm not sure who else will marry you. You're seeing someone. It's tricky. Tricky? Gene is not marrying the Kendall big American dream boyfriend. He's a rabbi. <laughs> now we can all be single. I have a husband. There's a there's a lot of expectations about when you, when you turn 30, mm-hmm. I'm 36. And that entire year for me was full of what the hell am I doing with my life? Uh, and because you should have life figured out by then. That's kind of the uh, narrative that's put forth. And Gene of the Joneses explores that through a woman who's kind of going through a bit of a quarter life, third life crisis, depending on, you know, age, how, how old we're all going to live. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she has to deal with her family who's kind of loud and in your face. And it very much reminded me of conversation about conversations with my own family. Um, and it's, and she also meets a guy and she's not sure where the relationship's going, but he's really nice. And she's also figuring out what she wants to do in her life, what she's passionate about. 
independent of that loud bossy family who's trying to get her to do certain things. It is really just a wonderful comedy about self-discovery with romance in it. And it is, I, I saw it, um, I used to be a development executive. I saw it in Toronto when it premiered at the film festival and it just, it lit a fire in me. And I knew then that that was the type of feeling that I wanted to give people from my writing, a sense of feeling like they belonged in a world, even if they didn't know where they belonged and a sense of not being alone and the funny family scenes, which are fantastic. And uh, director Stella Maggie, who you might know better from the photograph with uh, Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend checking out all of her work because it really is all about self-discovery with a hint of romance. I think it's, I think your point, your point is something interesting that film is very good at, which is obviously um, showing, but also able to say out loud the things that we might all be worried about or concerned about or not thinking hasn't quite turned out how we thought it was when we read the books as kids. And film does that perfect thing of being able to cut through and go, this is my problem. I'm having a crisis about this. And then we explore that as an idea of what makes us happy, what perceptions of what life was ha- life being happy might look like. And, and that's a good thing, isn't it, about film? Yeah, a hundred percent. It's like it's like therapy, except the tickets are way cheaper than therapy. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, let's jump in then with your five choices, five boss bitch romantic comedies, and I'm looking forward to this one. Um, I'm going to start the clock on His Girl Friday from 1940, directed by Howard Hawks. Well, well, how long is it? How long is what? You know what? How long is it since we've seen each other? Oh, well, let's see. Uh, I spent six weeks in Reno, then Bermuda, about four months, I guess. Seems like yesterday to me. Maybe it was yesterday, Hildy. Been seeing me in your dreams? Oh, no, Mama doesn't dream about you anymore, Wally. You wouldn't know the old girl now. Ah, yes, I would. I'd know you any time, any place. Anywhere. Ah, you're repeating yourself, Walter. That's the speech you made the night you proposed. Yeah, I know that you still remember it. Of course, I remember it. If I didn't remember it, I wouldn't have divorced you. His Girl Friday is... Um, is almost a a throwback in a way to films before the Hollywood Code era. Um, the Hollywood Code is something I wrote a dissertation on it for my law degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is this is my jam. Um, so the Hollywood Code created a was a censorship device that allowed studios to keep control of the content of their movie in a way because Congress was threatening to create a whole censorship board, which would have been terrible. Mm. And, but because of it, there were a lot of things from the pre-code era from 1933 and before um, that were on screen that were no longer allowed on screen. And one of those things from that pre-code era was actually um, the, the women were more empowered in control in charge and generally more active characters in those pre-code films. Um, oh, really? Car- that's, the, that's one yes. of the changes. Wow. Um, so there was, I mean, I watched a movie called Red Dust with Clark Gable, and I forget the lead actress's name, mm-hmm. but she was living in a, um, like a Central American, South American jungle area and was running her own business there. And there was there were always hints of kind of she's a madam. There's a lot of hints of this woman is a madam, but you know they they were they were owning their stuff. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. once the code happened, um, it 
started creating this image of women as subservient, of wanting needing a man, wanting to be married, and um, less there were there were less of these empowering, interesting tales. And Rosalind Russell here in his Girl Friday just this is it almost feels like a commentary on the fact that women were not expected to be empowered and in charge in the same way anymore because she comes in with Ralph Bellamy who is her fiance and she's like like okay I want a house in the suburbs and I want a baby and I just want to get married and not work but then she spends the whole movie working and the whole movie saying but I just want a normal life when really it's clear she doesn't want a normal life um and so and like my film theory nerd side is very uh is very is very turned on by all of this because it's it's just so intertextual, especially for a film of the time when that wasn't such a thing. Like um, when at a certain point, uh, Rosalind Russell says, "Hey, there's a man on the street. He looks like that actor, Ralph Bellamy, who is the one who's playing her fiance, the actual actor." And Cary Grant talks about uh, name drops Archie Leach. And Archie Leach is his actual real name. Right. So there's a lot of fun little film theories nuggets in there. Um, and then the thing that I love, love, love is the overlapping dialogue. And they everyone talks over each other a mile a minute. And somehow you can still understand everything that's happening. And you get all the important parts. And there's just such this rhythm and patter and sense of excitement that you this movie could so easily be a stage play because it's in just a two, three locations the whole time. And the camera barely moves it, but it just sits there and this rhythm and energy from the dialogue gets you tense. Mm. And so, and that's, it's something that I aspire to in my, in my writing. I, if you listen to the, the, how to fall in love the hard way, You'll hear lots of back and forth, quick, quick, quick. Some overlap. Uh, what do you think it, that does for drama? Then what is it? What is the power of that for you? Um. Well, like like I said, it creates a it creates a tension. Um, it's it, there's there's an urgency there when people are speaking over another. There's also a sense of camaraderie because you're not gonna you're gonna let people finish speaking if you don't know them very well. But if you know someone. You not only feel comfortable interrupting them, but you also know what they're going to say. They don't have to finish a sentence. So the the overlapping dialogue, I think, and that kind of comes back to the the movie because in when whenever Ralph Bellamy gets interrupted, it's so someone else can say something to someone else. It's not because they're listening to him, but when Harry Grant and Rosalind Russell uh, nice. overlap, go finish your thought. Up, yeah, um, when Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell overlap, it's because they're talking to each other, and so that's the like sexual tension too. And, and obviously, that I, you know, instead of fisticuffs, it's verbal blows, isn't it? You, you're trading. Exactly, exactly. And it's so funny. It's just there's so many jokes. It's like Shakespeare. <laughs> well, as that barking dog would, would suggest, we're moving on to the second choice of your five, which is we're jumping 19 years now. So the uh, the Hollywood Code is. Uh, is uh, in full effect. Is it in full effect now at this point? Um, it's actually been weakened at this point. There's been um, Psycho in 1960 will um, sort of create a precedent that you don't need to follow it because the 
it was never a law. It was always just you had to get a certificate from the code in order to be able to be shown in theaters because theater owners would refuse to show non-code films. There was a bit of a wow. a mafia feeling behind yeah. it. Um, and then the and then as people got as foreign films became more popular, as people became looser with things, it all um, the, the the theater owners would maybe show a non-code film because the foreign films didn't necessarily need to have it. And then the, uh, and then the code office would say, all right, we'll let you get away with more and more and more. And then psycho in 1960 kind of just blew everything up because That's really interesting. I forget if they didn't have a certification or if the certification was kind of just, okay, we'll give it to you because you're a Hitchcock. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the two films that came out at the time, you had peeping Tom and psycho. And, right. and I think Peeping Tom almost ruined someone's career. And whereas it, it laid the ground then for what Psycho then walked into, which is this, well, we didn't all die watching Peeping Tom, so um, maybe we'll be okay. Um, but let's uh, let's talk about your choice. So as a, as a snapshot then of that time, what does Pillow Talk from 1959, directed by Mike, Michael Gordon, do then that, uh, that his girl Friday wasn't doing? So Pillow Talk is... While the while the code is kind of being weakened, Pillow Talk is very much within the line of this 1950s, 1960s almost ideal of of womanhood, where you at the at the end she even though Doris Day is playing this high powered interior designer who works with just the best types of people, as soon as Rock Hudson says you're the you're my bride. She's suddenly willing to drop everything, including all of her grievances against him, and go to his and go to his bed. Why, Miss Morrow? I was expecting Mr. Perot. Mr. Perot is unavailable at this time. However, if you'd rather wait until he's free. Oh no, no, uh, you'll do just fine. Uh, please come in. It's just that. Uh... It's a little embarrassing. Mr. Allen, I'm a decorator, you're a client. I'm here because you are paying for my professional services. Now, what style did you have in mind? Uh, nothing in particular. Uh, I'm leaving that entirely up to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, here, uh, this is where I do my work. <laughs> Uh, living room. Uh, over here is a uh, yeah, kitchen, a uh, dining room uh, over there. And up here? The bedroom. And there are lots of beds in this movie, which is interesting and different. Um, it is a very, very sexy film for this era, especially. You have, um, so for those of you who haven't seen it, it's based on the concept of a party line, which is when the phone company couldn't keep up with your with with um with the demands for telephones they would give two people the same line essentially and you would have to share it and rock hudson spends all his time seducing women on the phone and doris day gets fed up with it and so they have this whole back and forth where you're going to be like i get a half hour you get a half hour and we'll switch every half hour and then rock hudson sees her figures out that sees that she's attractive and figures out that she is his boss slash friends um, love interest. And the boss slash friend is Tony Randall as a millionaire and it's hysterical. Mm. Uh, and 
he decides, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to seduce her. This will be fun. And so he calls her up on their party line. There's like a, a code to dial each other and they spend most of their courtship like talking on the phone. At one point they're both in this, in a bathtub together and they have their feet up on the wall and it's a split screen. And like, it looks like he's stroking her foot with his foot. Um, and then the fab, the fabulous Thelma Ritter plays this drunk housekeeper for Doris Day. And she's just walking around saying, basically, you need to get laid to Doris Day. <laughs> Doris Day's a good girl. She's like, like, she's a good girl, but also she's like, I don't have bedroom problems. Then she keeps thinking about whether she has bedroom problems. Um, so it's it's very risque while also being with the... Uh, with the moors of the area of the area. Did it did it era. cause consternation when it was released in turn? Because obviously Rock Hudson and Doris Day are bona fide stars in 1959, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, I don't think so. This was the first movie that they did together, if I am reading my uh my research correctly. Yeah. And it won uh it won her an Oscar for Best Actress and it won Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars. Okay. It is it's very self-aware. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, inner monologues being uh, not externalized, but you they don't you don't it's voiceover inner monologue uh, yeah. for everyone. Um, and you know, Doris Day and Rock Hudson go to a piano bar, and the pianist uh, says, "Hey, uh, why don't you why don't you sing a verse to Doris Day?" And she hands her the music and. Doris and Rock sing together and they're just, they look like they're just the best of friends. It's fantastic. Um, look like they had a great time making this movie. And then, uh, what is it about her character then for your, that, that makes you sort of put her under the banner of the boss bitch in a romantic comedy? What is she doing? That's making her so strong. Well, she is, she, she's very secure in her life. She is single. She goes out with interesting men. Mm-hmm. She's an interior designer. She works for this, the best clients. Um, she gets the moves put on her by a client's son in a very uncomfortable scene that these days it would, I mean, it's, it's hashtag me too all over the place. He really? basically blackmails her into going to get a drink with him, or he's going to continue to force himself on her in his car when he's supposed to be taking her home. Um, and so she, but She's very firm in her belief. She's not interested in just getting married to get married. Uh, and she has, whenever someone says, when uh, Rock Hudson tells her that she has bedroom problems, she's like, I don't have bedroom problems. Everything's fine in my bedroom. There's, she never <laughs> has sex on camera, but she goes, like, there's, there's a, an implication that she's a single woman who puts it on and that's, that's great. Uh, and even in, even though she is this very uh like like pure sort of figure there's this is a sex comedy pretty much without any sex except when she except except in the bathtub scenes and things it's it's an interesting like precursor to a sexual liberation <laughs> well um that dog barking tells us we're, we're about to jump into the sexual liber- beyond the sexual yes. liberation with Mike Nichols 1988 film Working Girl, which is very much about the a sort of the late second half twentieth century life of I get get into the heart of what was perceived to be the 
the the independent woman, the the business suit, the boxy the boxy shoulder pads, mm-hmm. kicking ass, just like the Met. And and in a way, you know, it's like and I, I nearly said it myself, and he said it already, but it's like it is almost like just like the men is almost like the kind of thing that's going along with this. So what is it? What for you is is working girl saying? Uh, so working girl to me is it's it's a really relevant movie even today. Uh, it's this woman who is, and it's it's more it's more relevant today in terms of the class issues that it presents. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like obviously the gender issues. So Tess is a secretary from Long Island who has a really good head for business. Uh, and she also says she has a bod for sin. Um, <laughs> a great line. A great line. It's fantastic. And it's, it could have been such a terrible line, but Melanie Griffith is just flawless. Do I look like I don't belong here? No. Hmm. No, no. I'm sure you're a real ace at whatever it is that you do do. Damn straight. But how you look... I have a head for business and a bod for sin. Is there anything wrong with that? No. No. She she went to night school for five years to get her degree. She wants to get into the executive entree executive entree program. She knows stocks. She reads the newspaper and finds interest makes interesting connections between things she reads. She's super creative and super intelligent, but because she doesn't have the pedigree or the breeding or the look or the penis, she cannot get ahead. Mm. And when her, you know, when one of her bosses says, oh, you can meet with this guy, Bob from Arbitrage, it turns out it's a, uh, in a very prescient role, it's Kevin Spacey um, in a limo making her watch porn and uh, saying that they're going to go party together. And Tess knows exactly what's happening right away. And she shoot she she pours champagne on him and gets out on the side of the road in the middle of the rain in uh, New York City. Mm. And so she's she's savvy and she really really wants to be in business and to succeed in business. And she has this one last chance. And she is working for a woman who's Sigourney Weaver, who is just classic. And she has the Miranda Priestly of from Devil Wears Prada that entrance. Before that entrance, I was going to say there's definitely shades of Devil Wears Prada in this movie. Oh, a hundred percent. And like this is also like Devil Wears Prada was not a romantic comedy, mm. but this movie similarly has. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, (laughs) I could really use Current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, 
innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Like the romantic storyline, the storyline between uh, Tess and uh, Jack, who's Harrison Ford, who is, he just sparkles in this movie. Um, it's almost secondary. There, Tess needs the deal that she's, she comes up with this deal based on things she read in the paper and the society pages and the business pages. And she figures out that Sigourney Weaver, who said, I'm going to help you, is actually undermining her. And she says, screw it. I'm going to go. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to contact the person that uh, Catherine, that Sigourney Weaver is, is contacted. And uh, we're going to do it together. And she just fakes it till she makes it. She figures out that she needs to change her hair, to change her makeup, to change her clothing. And she, once she gets the look right, and once she sounds, when, when she sounds right, she's able to just kind of walk in and put things together using her, her natural smarts. And it's not even a case of like street smarts versus book smarts because she has both, but she yeah. also has like a fire in her belly, which is one of the lines in the movie. It's interesting. It's interesting your breakdown of the film because because traditionally, you know, from, from looking from UK to America, the idea of a class system is very much something that's seen as a very much a British trope. But what you're describing with, and you use the term breeding and, and obviously needing to moderate Melanie Griffith's character having to change her voice and her look, these are all very superficial things which are nothing to do with genuine qualities. They're all about fitting in with what's acceptable to move on, aren't they? And fitting in with, with the general flow of stuff, which is a barrier that you get with the British class system all the time. Yeah, exactly. It is. And I think that the setting for this movie in New York city, where she's from, I think Staten Island and, uh, and Sigourney Weaver's from Manhattan. Mm. There's that, that's a, that's a huge class divide. There's act, there's discernible accents that happen in the outer boroughs of New mm. York that don't necessarily happen in Manhattan. And so I think this is one of the place. like if this was, this could also have been set in Nashville and you would have had a similar thing where you have this, like, you know, instantly from looking at someone who they, what, how much money they make, where they come from. And there's certain markers of class, even without all that, that you can, um, or at least in New York, I mean, now with Silicon Valley people wearing T-shirts and hoodies and stuff, that's that's a whole different, a whole different. No, no, um, I, know you, but I think it's I think it's an interesting part of what is a yeah. what is essentially a a sort of um, I guess a steely-eyed kind of rom-com in a sense because because the way that Melanie Griffith's character has got to has got to move forward is about going toe to toe. So that can she knows like in that great line that you, you said before, that she can get any man she wants because of the rules of attraction. But that doesn't work in her favor all the time in terms of what she wants to do in terms of business. And that's that's the thing that's not on her terms, isn't it? So then she has to, her character has to adapt. And then, like you say, part of her street smarts is what actually becomes part of her overall strength. Yeah, absolutely. And... I learned so much from this movie. I learned, uh, I learned to read everything to make connections between, you know, get ideas that way. I learned about elevator pitches from this movie. It's, 
it's it is uh it's, it was very formative for me just in you know life <laughs> it's interesting because 1988 is 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 obviously a long is, is what what we're talking now 33 years ago from now yeah. and this film was presented i mean in a way and it's interesting looking at harrison ford's character as as the kind of as the male in this, not just from a romantic point of view, but just in terms of the business setting, because his character is effortless because in 1988, in the business world you're, you're orbiting, his, 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 his status was, was not under threat. He, there was, it's kind of, there's a relaxed attitude in everything he does because there's no challenge to it. It's, it's either, does he get, does he get the woman he wants or does he not? That's his biggest threat. Whereas Melanie's got a big 360 problem in her life. Exactly. Yeah. He's, he's sort of her foil, even though he says, I haven't had a hit in a while, but he's not really, and he's, I, I don't want to be a little piece of tape that that's just someone that is going to come and replace me at my job. Like there's, there's this attempt at finding a threat, but really the story's not about him succeeding. It's all about her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Then we're going to jump into the 21st century for your next choice. Yes. And and in and on, and this is it, it's interesting because on the on the we've had we've had we've had in terms of me looking at that how IMDb describes the movies as a little summary we've had Ace Reporter ex wife we've had Interior Decorator we've had a secretary whose ideas get stolen stolen now we've got a character who's described as an arrogant career woman in two thousand and one with um, two can play that game so do you want to talk us through what uh, what it is that appeals to this in terms of the five botch bit. Five boss bitch romantic comedies. Absolutely. This is one of my favorite movies and one that very few people have seen, at least in my acquaintance. It is an basically an all black cast with the exception of Ray Wise. And um, it is made, directed by a black director, written by a black writer. And so I feel like I want to point that out because I feel like the word arrogant would not have been chosen if this was an all white cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, again, that's kind of my subtext to saying it even. And so uh, Vivica Fox plays Shantae, who is this like marketing guru. She's the youngest partner at her firm. She is black. She is uh, proud of that. She is really just, she is in control. And she knows that she's better than everyone because she she had to be mm. to get there. Shantae, isn't it Keith over there on the dance floor? I thought you said he was working late. Damn, girl. What you gonna do? I'm gonna go over there and say hey. I'll be right back. Hey! No good son of a bitch! What kind of bullshit is that? No, she she gonna handle business. She'll handle it. Get it together, Shante. Get it together. Get it together. Okay, this is where the rules begin. If you ever find yourself in a situation like this, rule number one, never panic. Stay cool. Act like it doesn't bother you one bit. And address the issue head on. We all want the high life, big cheese and a spotlight. Rocking the cord is right to the hot Hey, oh, I thought that was you. What's up? Hey, look, this is, um... I'm Shantae. I'm sorry. Um, is that DKNY? Yes, it sure is. Oh, girl, cute. Oh, thank you, girl. Nice to see you, Keith. Talk to you soon. 
She was nice. Who's she? Don't cause a scene. Don't go off. In situations like this, less is always best. So I, I talked a little bit about breaking the fourth wall in Pillow Talk. This entire movie is her breaking the fourth wall. She turns to the camera and says, like, this is who I am. I have a great man. I have a great life. Everything's perfect. My friends are amazing. They all have their problems. And they also all come to me when they have their problems. And let me tell you, I can solve them. <laughs> and so she has a whole system for how to keep your man in line. And she um, goes like, so, so her boss bitchness is just inherent in her character. Mm. And this whole movie is basically how do you, how do you handle a relationship when it's maybe going off the rails? If you want to, if something's happening that you don't like, what do you do? And this is the whole movie is an instruction manual for how to take charge of a situation. And then when the situation doesn't work, it's about also being vulnerable and stopping playing games. Um, so it's, it's just so much fun. There's like hot cars, there's parties, there's uh, like one thing that the previous films really missed with the exception of Joan Cusack and Working Girl, who is just astonishingly amazing, is a solid group of friends for the lead woman. Mm. And this movie, uh, Shantae is with her friends a lot. A, lo a lot of her figuring out what to do about her relationship is just, all right, so on this day, you're just going to go hang out with your friends. You just have a good time. And they do. And there's no threat. Like the friends aren't really foils for her. Mm. They have their own lives. They have their own stories. They're not the threat like Sigourney Weaver. Um, they're just, they're just cool people that she loves. And that's really refreshing in, um, in a, in a genre that tends to view other women as the enemy. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's written and directed by Mark Brown, who, who, who wrote Barbershop a year later, or, or film exactly. that came out a year. I'm not sure he wrote it a year later, but Barbershop came out a year later. Um, how how do you think he tackles her as a female character from a writing point of view? What is he what is he doing right? I suppose. Um, I mean, <clears throat> I, I that's a real that's a tough question because this is not this isn't as much of a typical character as it is like Vivica Fox being this infomercial saleswoman for the lifestyle that she has, mm -hmm. um, and. I mean, like obviously this is his writing, but it's so much her performance and her selling herself as someone in charge. I also feel like he must have also he must also know a bunch of really badass women because this it all feels so true to me. Mm -hmm. I guess that's that's the bot the bottom yeah, line. Yeah, no, that, that's kind of important. I think if if it feels true, yeah. then there's no reason to believe that it's it's not coming from a from a true point of view. Right. Uh, it's. <sighs> There's so much other, there's like little breaking the fourth wall things in this about romantic comedies. Like, so the, the plan that she's doing to make her man stay in line involves like on this day, do this. If he does that, if he, if he responds this way, then do this. And one of the things she has to do is she chooses essentially a Bellamy, which is the, uh, basically a, a patsy, someone who is 
nice enough, but it's not right for your main, not right for the main character, not right for the love interest, uh, not right to be a love interest for your main character in a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Part of her plan is, all right, you got to go choose someone. He can't be too good looking. He can't be too suave, but he can't be terrible either. And that's exactly what a Bellamy is. And you let him, uh, you, go you hug him, and you make sure that someone sees you, uh, so someone sees you uh, be all up on him and then tells your man about it. And it's, it's just, it's just so fun. That's, I, I just love this movie. <laughs> no, I think that's, I think that's very clear. I think that's very clear. No doubt, Paige. Right then. Uh, we're going to move 10 years on into beyond the noughties now. So in the decade that we've just left, 2011's um, music and lyrics written and directed by Mark Lawrence. Um, do you want to talk us through this one? Sure. Absolutely. So first of all, need to just, it's a, it's a movie about music and the soundtrack is phenomenal. It's both satirical and true. Uh, the song that brings our two love interests together was written by Adam Schlesinger, who, um, rest in peace. He, um, COVID got him uh, late earlier last year. He also wrote that thing you do and um, Stacy's mom, the Fountains of Wayne song. So he's just an incredible talent who has left us way too soon. Oh, and sad to hear that. It, yeah, it's um, it, this this movie should have been nominated for multiple Oscars for songwriting. such it's a fun romp it also has a lot to say about songwriting and the creative process mm, um without a doubt that's i mean that's an important part isn't it how yes how organic that is which obviously is a metaphor for relationships exactly and the thing that's nice about this is that there's between the love interests there's a bit of um it's not just about the woman the, so this movie is about sophie who was played by drew barrymore learning to step into her own power and finding her creative voice after it was stifled by this terrible ex-boyfriend professor man that mm. she um, that she dated and who basically wrote a fictionalized, villainized version of her. And it became this crazy, huge bestseller. And Alex is, who's played by Hugh Grant, is this fading, faded pop star who doesn't believe that he has anything worthwhile to say. And instead of like in Working Girl where Jack and Tess Jack was kind of secure and Tess was not both Alex and Sophie need each other to make each other better. The, the, the song that they're writing is going to heal both of them. And so this dual growth is really something that I love about this. And the fact that 
in order to overcome their creative blocks, they have to open up to each other, which leads them to being in a relationship because they were honest with each other in order to produce something. It sounds so good. I can't believe it. And now, vocals. No, no, you see, you have to sing into the microphone. It won't follow you. But I can't. It's a duet for a man and a woman. We are as close as we've got. Your headphones and a level. You look nice in those. You should wear them all the time. How is that? Yes? Okay! Shh, shh, shh. It's okay. And... Way back into love. Take one. Oh, God. I'm getting really nervous. You'll be fine. You just use your normal, nice voice that I've heard so much of in the last three days. It's like, uh, my throat's closing up. It's like anaphylactic. It's fine. It's just a three-minute song. Just a little bit louder, because this song is intended for humans, okay? Way back into love. Take two. This is about like how being sensitive and being open and emotional and vulnerable can make you this huge boss. Um, and I guess, yeah, because, because in a sense, owning, owning, owning vulnerability is, is, is a bit more of a shield than, than succumbing to it. If, if, if that's not an oxymoron to describe it that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's with just going back to that, the, thing about creativity it's the there's reasons for them to be talking there's reasons for them to be talking about these things because all of these old wounds are things that can help find inspiration Mm -hmm. and also can help you feel safe sharing ideas um it's so it's not just the classic oh i'm going to tell you all my deep dark secrets because i now trust you it's more all right we gotta work in one point hugh grant says all right i don't have time to we don't have time to do this. You need to tell me what's going on. You need to tell me why you're so freaked out right now. And then uh, Sophie Drew Barrymore says, yeah, okay. Yes, I do. I will. And she tells him this whole, her whole backstory. And he's really supportive about it. And he helps build her up so that she can overcome it. And that's, it's just such a sweet relationship where they both need each other, which is something that's not necessarily as, um, it's it's not his girl Friday of these five movies is actually the relationship that mimics this the most because Cary Grant needs his best writer needs his ex-wife and he keeps trying to make her stay as much as she's trying to leave to go on her to go get married yeah you're right Um, because because in a sense the 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 rom-com is is often blighted by the fact that it's about someone getting someone as opposed to two people needing each other Yes, exactly. And the relationship works because they because they've been able to grow together. They've been able to both like Alex becomes a bad bitch too, a boss bitch. He's uh he he doesn't he no longer is sitting on his past laurels of fame just hoping that he can make it um one day to the next. He's cre- he has a creative spark again. Does it does um, have interest? Does it I mean, I've not seen it. So does it obey the kind of the, the the narrative rules of 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 attraction repel attraction repel or is it, does it operate oh. on a different level? 
Oh, 100%. I mean, it's it's very textbook romantic comedy. Uh, okay. They have their... You know, they, they they have their meet cute at the very beginning and then they see each other again. They come together. They have their one perfect day. They break up. Uh, they try to get back together. They don't. Big grand gesture and happy ever after. Fantastic. Well, as Pig just back in there, we've uh, we've reached the end of our five boss bitch romantic comedies. I'm just going to recap so people can get a list of the titles in one I'll swoop. So we've just covered His Girl Friday from 1940, directed by Howard Hawks. Pillar Talk 59, directed by Michael Gordon. Working Girl 88, directed by Mike Nichols. Two Can Play That Game 2001, directed by Mark Brown. And Music and Lyrics 2011, directed by Mark Lawrence. Um, it's really interesting, sort of, because the idea, it's always about the, the, work, the working woman element is an important part, and that striving to be the independent person first that then has a relationship after is what's running through all these films. And if it's, and, and often the, and the older films, I guess, is if I, if I give myself to a man, then I'm giving up part of what this thing is that's made me independent. And that's all, that's an interesting dramatic thing that's changed. Even, even as recent, even as soon as 88 with working girl, that the story is, it's not a job or a man, is it at that point? No, no, it's, she gets the man because she has the job. Yeah, yeah. Or because she wanted the job. Yeah. And then by by two can play that game and using lyrics, we're we're just talking about adults having relationships and how they go right and wrong. And in a sense, exactly. what happens, what do you do when when they go wrong? And then how how do you fix it? And can you fix it? And do, who do you need to help you fix it? And and how relationships grow out of the trust that comes from somebody supporting you, as opposed to the the you know, the, the kind of traditional I'm going to date you. I'm going to court you. I'm going to seduce you, which is kind of, I kind of, it's, it doesn't feel like that'd be right anymore in, in terms of how to present the kind of the ideas of attract the laws of attraction anymore. You know, I'm going to save this person from themselves by making them part of me. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Um, and I, I would like, I would like to, to give one final thought on his girl Friday. Certainly. Um, so when I was, I, I rewatched all of these, uh, before recording. And one thing that struck me about his girl Friday is that it has the same plot as Twister, the, uh, the Helen Hunt Bill Paxton movie. No way. Yes. So in Twister, a, um, a, it's, it's gender flipped a, um, a man and a woman who used to be married mm. or who are almost divorced, who used to work together, um, are, are the man comes back. And says, hey, honey, I need you to sign the divorce papers because I'm engaged and we're just about to get off getting married. And then a giant work event happens, which is a tornado, which sidelines the whole thing and allows them to rekindle their relationship. Such such a fantastic movie. And uh, same plot. His, it stole their plot from His Girl Friday, uh, except there are more cows. Yeah, no, no. Now you've said it. It's it's interesting. It is. It's it's a, it's it's. Um... Yeah, I'd never thought of it as, as following like a rom-com thing, but now you've said it, it's bloody obvious. Um, <laughs> well, look, let's remind people, what, what's, the, what's the name of your uh, audio rom-com that you're, you're producing and developing? Um, so it is called How to Fall in Love the Hard Way, and it is available on all podcast platforms and uh, also at listen.howtofallinlovethehardway.com. The uh, pilot is out now, and episodes two through 10 will be coming later this year. 
Fantastic. Well, well done on that. And thank you very much for lending us your thoughts on five boss bitch romantic comedies. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. It's it's always this is what I love about this and the, and and having expanded the uh, the format to be whatever the guest wants to sort of wax lyrical about is it it may it means I then end up watching films differently, not just these five, but then other romantic comedies I'm going to tune into now. I'm going to be seeing some of these dynamics. The fact that you've already drawn a parallel with Twister, having rewatched his Girl Friday recently, is that and I, <laughs> and I love that idea that that, that, that the uh, the human story and relationships are, are one of the most universal truths that won't go away in a way. Oh yeah. And that's, I, it took me a long time to figure out that I wanted to write romantic comedies and write about romance because I always enjoy, I always enjoyed those parts of stories, but I never thought there's, there's something inherently feminine and therefore societally says it's kind of inferior to just want to write about love, but really it's universal. It's in Twister. I love Twister because there's a love story in it, and I am not afraid to say it. <laughs> no, I think that's the as of all the unintended consequences, unintended consequences of a podcast. That's one of my favorites to discover that. Um, well, look, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving me your time on the podcast. Thank you so much. This was fantastic. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. You did something for the first time. 